Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to Salt Company tonight. You're going to go ahead, find a seat. Kelsey should, should know by now. We're a you and I only ministry in this place. Am I right? Jeez, Kelsey. Hey, that's right. Let's go, Cats. We're done with Iowa State. They're losers. We'll beat them two years from now for sure. I will be wearing gold, absolutely. Did not say what the secondary color would be yet. Hey, we have a super, super fun Salt Company plan tonight. It is going to be a great time. Uh, a little bit unique, though, if you can't tell already. Uh, one of the ways in which God has blessed our ministry so much is through three individuals, and that would be Laura, Shay, and Kelsey. We have, yeah, let's hear it for them. And it's super fun from time to time getting to bring you up here and for you to even share and shepherd our ministry in this way. And so we're super excited for Laura to share and uh, also uh, some insights about dating tonight. So I'm glad to do this with you. So thanks for Pumped joining. to be up here. Yes, we got the pub table out. We got our waters. I got a second water just in case I need to reload. It's kind of that night. We might you know. need to share that, yeah. Share it? Yeah. Wow, okay, okay. <laughs> I guess we're friends, Laura. We can do that. Share a water bottle. I'm not sick, are you? I just can't. Is it, too soon for, is it too soon for COVID jokes? Because I was about to say, I just can't smell or taste. No, that's like... And then I was like, maybe too soon. Two years ago soon, joke. That's too, yeah, it's almost 2022. It is almost 2022. I feel 2022. like 2022, we can start making... Yeah, okay, Caden agrees. So let's just... Hey, no COVID jokes for like six more weeks, but 2022 COVID jokes are coming out. It's, it's fair game then. COVID, you've had your chance. Okay. Uh, so dating, that is our topic tonight. Uh, first things first, one of the things I've observed about my dating is there is a correlation between where I go on a first date and how the rest of that relationship goes. So I went to McDonald's once, that date ended, first date to McDonald's, that date ended 20 minutes in. So if you're thinking McDonald's, I, as I was, thinking it was a great spot, it's not the spot. It's not the spot. I also, 20 minutes in is a rough date. I'd also encourage you to not go on a date that's like for sure going to be at least four hours long, like a baseball game first date. Ooh, You're locked in. Wow. Did that okay, one. hey, we're diving so. into wisdom right now. Also, don't lose your car in the parking ramp if you do that. Mixed for a real oh, long Oh, okay, so you're night. telling a, a real, like, this is from... This is real wisdom. You should start with that story. Parking parking garage. Oh, this was a blind date. Blind date. We went <laughs> we went to a Twins game. That's a long, that's a commitment. Wow, baseball. Yeah. And there's not even, like, really anything happening that could distract you. I know. You can't yeah, really you're talk. Talking you're talking to like, someone at a baseball game. He was really into the fact that I was into baseball, so that was what we did. But then afterwards... We couldn't find his car for at least an hour. Had to call the like help van to drive us around the ramp. Did it was, he start? It if went I downhill. The story right? Did he start cussing out loud? No, oh, okay. no, that's not cussing, but very mind. stressed out. I just remember that. So that's how I interpreted that story. <laughs> Starting to swear. <laughs> that's so. how it turned into in your memory. Nice, nice. Okay. Well, hey, we have, uh, like I've said now that for the third time, a fun topic. So let's dive in. Uh, we're talking about dating. Last week was marriage. This week, dating. Next week, parents. And our goal tonight 
is to give some practical wisdom for the topic dating. Does the Bible give us insight? That, what does it tell us about this, this concept of dating? And then what are some of the practical things that we can, can go and uh, get from uh, the Bible? So uh, when it comes to dating in the Bible, there is not a verse that says, this is how you ask someone out on a date. I know there's some of you that are probably like, man, I wish it was that like spelled out for us in our Bibles, but it's just not. And really that's a good thing. It's a good thing that the Bible actually allows the process by which people find spouses to adapt to the culture of the time. It doesn't have a one size fits all way in which dating or that process should happen, but instead it gives us some key foundational aspects about who we should be as people, what God's vision for marriage is, and then some more broad, like, practical like guidance and as far as how we should approach dating. So our goal tonight is to first and foremost try to attempt to lay a biblical foundation and then in part two we'll do uh, some practical wisdom. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 6. That is where we are going to start tonight and it's kind of going to be the main point of the entire discussion. Matthew 6. All right, so this is in the middle of Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to this point about uh, being anxious about your life. So that's what verse 25 says. So you got these people that are anxious about what their life is going to be like. And then he gets to verse 31 and he says this. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, so why do we start there? Well, Here's the reality of all of our lives. There are so many things that we desire. There's so many things that are good that we desire. There's so many things that we want to be true of our lives. And God knows that we want those. God knows that in this case, we need those. And so Jesus is pointing out the fact that the world has all these things that it's anxious about, worrying about, wanting. But at the end of the day, here's what we should ultimately be concerned about in every sphere of our life. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That at the end of the day is what the aim of our life should be. And if we have that as the purpose of our life, that we live a life that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these other things in our life will take care of themselves in a sense. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the house that you want or whatever, but it does mean that God will ultimately take care of your needs as you first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So that, if you miss everything else for the rest of the night, including, you know, the rest of the talk, the Q&A, if we all commit as Christians to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then so much of the rest of our life is going to take care of itself. So that is kind of the big picture, main point of tonight that we're going to keep coming back to over and over again. So now what else kind of does the Bible say that could inform our approach to dating? Well, I kind of want to break it down into three kind of categories. The Bible will talk about who we are, what marriage is, and then it will give us some 
practical insights of how we should like approach marriage or how we should approach this process of trying to find a spouse. So first and foremost, who we are. We already did Matthew 6.33 that we should be people that seek first the kingdom of God, but we also get some other insights that would start to inform how we think about dating. So 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is God's will, your sanctification. God's ultimate will for your life is for you to be sanctified, that you would more and more look like Christ, more free from sin and more obedient to him. So God, when we think about who we are, he first wants us to think about our own personal holiness. That is God's ultimate will for your life. Uh, there's a couple other things that we could deduce. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, he wants us to be anchored in our identity in Christ. So it says this, therefore, if any was, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. So we want to be people that pursue our own sanctification, our own personal holiness out of identity that we are a new creation in Christ. So when we come to dating, we first got to establish who we are. We are first and foremost people in Christ who are seeking our own personal holiness as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, why does that matter for dating? Well, if you are the sort of person who is marked by integrity, character, godliness, so many of the details of dating begin to fall into place. They really do. If you are a generally healthy person and you exercise regularly, you care about like living to 100, that is a personal goal of mine that given my health patterns, I don't think I'm gonna reach, but we're gonna, we're gonna get there. Imagine this, if you exercise regularly, you wanna be a healthy person and then you go to a buffet. In general, you're gonna make good decisions, right? If I wanted you to make good decisions at a buffet, I could either tell you, eat salad all day long, or I could tell you, you should be a healthy person who exercises, who cares about what you put into your body. And if I first ground you in the type of person I want you to be, then I can trust that you'll make the right decisions at the buffet. That's the same in dating. God wants us to be grounded in our identity in Christ, his will for our sanctification, that we would grow in Christ-likeness and our pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness first. And if we get that right, so many of the other details will fall into place. All right, so that's who we are supposed to be. The Bible then talks about what marriage is. When I was in college, I told some guys this week this story. I was on an intramural basketball team. I've never played organized basketball in my life. I've maybe played three pickup games. I know zero about basketball. I've actually never watched a full NBA game. Never once in my entire life have I watched a full NBA game. So I was on this basketball team, and I said, what do you want me to do? And they said, just run underneath the hoop on each side of the court, just back and forth, back and forth. And I felt like the biggest moron ever, because I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm just like, am I doing this right? They're like, yeah, good job, Steven, keep going. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm running underneath this hoop, back and forth, back and forth. It was stupid, it really was. It was not fun, it was frustrating. I didn't know what was going on. Here's the reality, when you don't understand what you are doing or the concept of kind of the game of basketball at all, then you will find yourself in meaningless activity, frustrated at what's going on because there's no direction, there's no uh, bigger picture goal of what you're supposed to be doing. You have no ability to connect those dots. So what God does is he describes in detail for us in Ephesians 5, like we looked, like, looked at last week, what marriage is, what it's to be, and then if we have a clear picture of the end destination of dating, that also will inform how we date. If we know that we're supposed to be looking for someone that we will be unified with in a covenant relationship, where we'd have sacrificial love with each other, that our relationship will glorify God, well, then that begins to inform how we date. 
I want to be looking for someone that I want to be in this united covenant relationship with that is going to be marked by sacrificial love, that's going to be for the purpose of God's glory. So God is first and foremost concerned with who you are, your personal holiness, your identity in Christ, what you're pursuing, a godly marriage, and before he gets to how the details of what uh, dating looks like. So a few just really big picture. I'm going to fly through these verse references, uh, and then we're going to dig into some practical wisdom. Um, when it comes to the specifics of dating, does our Bible say anything about it? Well, uh, I would point to 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. We see that our relationships with one another in the church are supposed to be as brothers and sisters. Paul tells Timothy uh, to treat the young women as sisters with all purity. Uh, our relationships should honor one another. Romans 12, 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. The way we date should be marked by honoring each other. Um, we should honestly involve our fathers and mothers. We're going to look at Ephesians 6 next week, uh, honoring your parents. But the Bible would say we should honor our parents, which would include in the way we date, we should honor our parents. We should seek wise counsel. Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail when there's no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Um, and then there, there is a reality that we should uh, not base our decision on dating someone purely on their attractiveness. Proverbs eleven twenty two: a beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Ew. Ew. <laughs> what a weird verse, right? <laughs> Proverbs eleven twenty two. It's great. If you only consider someone's attractiveness, but ne to the neglect of recognizing that they don't have good sense, that's like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So those are just some quick hitter verses that would maybe inform some of the details. But let's get to kind of some of the practical wisdom. The Bible leaves us a lot of room to kind of ask, what is the practical wisdom as we approach dating? Yeah, so we're going to go through a handful of like header questions as we dig into some of the practicals. First one, who should I be dating? Who should I date? What kind of person to date? If one of the purposes of dating is to find clarity on who you might marry one day, it matters who you date. It matters a lot who you marry. That's the second biggest decision you make after following Christ. That's somebody you're hopefully walking with for decades. It's a big deal. We're going to say a couple of things tonight that are like, this is a really big deal. And some things that are like, lighten up. It's fine. Don't overthink it, guys. But when it comes to who you marry, it's a big deal. So it matters who you date. So the first question I'm going to start with in the midst of that is, Hey, can I go on a date with an unbeliever? What about, what do I do with that? Um, if we're just talking casual dating, could I go to dinner? So the Bible talks about, um, you might have heard this phrase called being unequally yoked. It talks about in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, that we are not to be unequally yoked, a believer to an unbeliever. This passage isn't primarily talking about marriage. It's talking about idolatry. But we have some things we can learn about marriage through this passage. So a yoke in the context of this is this wooden bar that would be over two like oxen that are plowing a field or pulling some kind of weight. And if they're different in sizes or if they're trying to go different directions, that's not going to work out so well, right? They're, they're not to be unequally yoked. And so in a similar way in marriage and therefore then in dating, we are not to be going in different directions. We're not to be unequally yoked. The Reformation Study Bible would say what this kind of verse means as they're unpacking that is we are told to not be yoked together with unbelievers in such a way that they significantly influence the direction and outcome of our moral decisions and spiritual activities. I would hope that whoever I marry has a significant influence on my spiritual activities and moral decisions, right? And so if that's the type of person I'm going to be marrying, I don't want to be dating somebody who's not in that same range, right? 
the gospel doesn't just affect my Sunday mornings and Thursday nights and like how I raise my kids. It changes everything. It's the most important thing about who I am, right? It changes how I spend my money, what I do first thing in the morning, how I think about conflict and forgiveness, things like that. And so to be in a, in a relationship with somebody who thinks vastly different about everything else in life, it's just not going to work out. So you don't have to know if you're going to marry somebody before you go on one date, but don't go on one date with somebody you know you can't marry, essentially. Um, beyond that, I would say some things I would look for on the front end would be that they would have a daily and authentic walk with Jesus. Um, that they have a generally good reputation among people that know them, if you don't know them that well, that they're in community, that they, ha they have people living life alongside of them in their walk with Jesus. Um, think through how do they respond to authority in their life? Is there any authority in their life? And do they show humility and teachability in the midst of that? So those would be a handful of things to look to um, for who you should be dating. Yeah, I think that picture of two ox under a yoke is so helpful. Like, really, when you think about, like, your identity in Christ and seeking first the kingdom of God, if that really is, that's why we started there, seek first the kingdom of God. If that's the aim of your life, and if you're a believer, it should be, and you're under a yoke with someone who that's not their aim, it's like, man, that's not going to work. Like, Natalie and I, great marriage, and it is still so hard. Natalie is a super godly woman who the aim of her life is to seek first the kingdom of God. I am trying to be a godly man who the aim of my life, I'm trying to keep seeking first the kingdom of God. And yet it's still hard. And now imagine if like aims are completely opposite. So that's such an important point. And that even I think applies like uh, not just like this person is a clear non-Christian, but even someone who like, like is kind of indifferent towards leveraging their life for Christ. It's like, man, like you want to find someone who's running alongside you as you're seeking first the kingdom of God. So so that's kind of who you date. Now we're kind of going to go through the timeline of how dating happens. So how it starts, how it like how to date well, how to end it if it needs to end. <laughs> that's going to be a fun one. Uh, how to be single well, how to know whether or not she's the one. So that's that's kind of the the process of the next few bullet points. So how to begin? How do we start dating, guys? Here is kind of my big picture view. This is from the, the wisdom book of Stephen Jones, I suppose, of dating. I think that we make dating way more complicated than it needs to be. We don't communicate often enough, and there's just more confusion than, than it needs to be. So let's just, I have a very simple view of how dating should go. Thank you, Jacob Mattis. All right, great. Um, so how should it start? I think that it should start in a very simple, clear way. If you are a guy and you see a, a woman that you are interested in, approach them and say, hey, I would love to get to know you more. Could I take you on a date this week? Boom, done. That is how I approach the start of dating. And it works so great. It's clear. I want to take you on a date. The girl is not, she's not left in confusion. It's very kind because you're not like making it more complicated it needs to be with like texting each other for three months, trying to like find the perfect opportunity to like ask each other out. And maybe I'll like sit by him like at this class or maybe I'll like run into them at this party. It's like, no, if there's someone you're interested in, walk up, say, hey, I'd like to get to know you more. Could I take you on a date this week? So easy. I would much rather, I got to this kind of the, to this point my junior year of college where I was like, I would much rather spend three hours trying to assess whether or not we should date versus three months of this kind of like turmoil, like, oh my word, like she talked to me for two minutes after Salt Company. I wonder if that means anything. It's like, it probably didn't. 
but ask her out on a date if you're interested. And she might say no. And you're like, oh my gosh, well, what if she says no? Then you're gonna be in the exact same spot two minutes before you asked her, not going on a date with her. <laughs> you're like, well, it's gonna ruin our friendship. Guys, it probably will. <laughs> but here's the reality. As a 27-year-old, and even way earlier than 27, guess how many friendships I have with the opposite sex that aren't com like connected to my wife or my work? Like none. And so all of your friendships with the opposite gender are going to end at some point. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. It's like, wow. <laughs> so would you rather... It end because you asked them on a date and they said no, and at least now you know that it was never gonna work out. Or you're at their wedding and you realize that you can no longer hang out on the weekends with that person because now they're married. Right? Like it's going to end. You might as well end it yourself. That's like a really <laughs> bold way to say it. <laughs> I would rather the pain of an awkward relationship or like a relationship ending awkward than the regret for the rest of my life wondering, should I have asked that person out? Which one, which pain would you rather have? So keep it simple. Don't overthink it. Ask them out. And if they say no, you're in the exact same spot you were 30 seconds before you asked them out. Still, they're not going on dates with you. So <laughs> things you'd add. You leaving it there? That's how to start dating? I don't know. There'll probably be more things that pop in my head in a second. Yeah. Okay. If you are on the receiving end of that question, if you would like to get coffee with said asker, say, that'd be great. If you would not like to get coffee with said asker, say, no, thank you. Riveting. Valid. Valid, Riveting. valid answer. I have had somebody thank me for saying no before dragging it out, whatever. For the most part, if you don't know the person and you're like, hey, I eat food, they're offering to pay for my food, yeah, sure, go on a date. What's Absolutely. the harm in it? Go on a few dates, see how it goes. If you know them and you're like, it's gonna be a heck no from here, like, I know that I do not want to do this. I know it's so hard in the moment when you're like, ah, caught off guard, I don't wanna be rude. It's honestly more rude, ladies, big picture, and harder on somebody else's heart if you say yes, drag it on, or call them the day before the date and say you don't want to, or things like that. Have something in mind that you would say beforehand. Thank you so much for asking me. That is flattering. I'm honored. I am not interested. Yes. That's so, what you can say, don't say right now. Don't say dot, dot, dot right now. Don't say, don't, you don't need to give a reason. Just say I'm not interested. And that's like a perfectly fine thing to say. Now guys, how is it that a girl could say that response to you? Only if you ask very clearly, would you like to go on a date with me this week? That is like the sentence, that clarity elicits that kind of response of either a yes or a no with clarity. Guys, let's date with clarity. Let's just all serve one another. When, when it, Romans 12, 10 talks about honoring one another, we honor each other when we don't leave one another in confusion, ambiguity, uncertainty. We honor each other when we date with clarity. So on the guy end, use the word date. Would you like to go on a date with me? On the girl end, use the word yes or no. Go on the date. 
Okay, here's uh, The Art of Manliness. Great website. Uh, it says a date is planned for, paid for, and paired off. That is what constitutes a date. Planned, it can't just be like, what, would you want to come over and watch like a show or something? No, that's not a date. Plan it. Uh, real quick, I think dinner is great. Then an activity that is uh, leisurely enough that you can carry on a conversation, but enough activity that you don't have to carry on a conversation. AKA ice skating. Bowling is okay. Laser tag is not. The other formula for a great planned date is to then have a back pocket option number three, like ice cream, if the date's going well, but you don't plan that because if the date's not going well, then you don't want to go get ice cream. That's like the last thing you want to do. So planned, paired, uh, paid for, uh, guys, let's pay for the dates, and then paired off, just the two of you on that first date. That is what constitutes a date. After the date, drop them off, say thanks for going on a date with me. I'll call you in the morning. And then call in the morning and say, hey, two things in that phone call the next day. Either I had a great time, would you like to go on a second date with me? Or I had a great time, at this point I wanna to continue just to be friends. Dead serious, guys, say that. That is how we honor one another. Clarity, simplicity, I had a great time, I don't wanna date you anymore. And it stings a little in the moment hearing that, and you can say it graciously and all that, but at the end of the day, just being honest is way more loving. So, okay, that's a few things We're on starting. We're gonna go so late tonight. Oh yes, <laughs> but it's so much fun. This is like a two second comment. Yeah. Um, so I'm not gonna say like every single Snapchat or whatever is wrong, but Let's be wise on how to start with dating. There are absolutely even people in this room, people I know that have used online services, stuff like that. That can be great and a great tool, but use wisdom as you use those sorts of things. Be aware of what it communicates to someone when you're Snapchatting them or talking to them, that sort of stuff. So, okay. If you wanna know if girls can ask guys out on dates, uh, text it in. You're so wanting to just I know, answer right I have now. I so many thoughts. <laughs> All right, text it in. We'll text get to it. it. In. Okay, okay, how to date well. How to date well. This is a simple flyover, so there's a lot more you could go into with this, but a handful of um, just bullet points for how to date well. First, pursue community and seek wise counsel. So date in the context of community. I'm not talking you can only hang out in community, but it's good for you to know their friends and, and them to know your friends and to hang out with people so you're able to be like, hey, do you like this guy? To see how he interacts with other people. If you're only doing one-on-one -on -one stuff, you're not getting a full picture of who this person is. Um, then seeking wise counsel, as you hang out with other people, they're able to say, he's a real tool bag. I would say no. And you're like, really? I couldn't see that. So it's helpful to get other people's insight. So peers and like wise older counsel. Introduce him to your parents, to other people. I'm saying him. We'll just always talk in the him, her, whatever tonight. Um, to people who are shepherds of yours that you would ask, hey, what do you think about us together? So seek counsel in that. Second, this is kind of a big umbrella, but live in light of healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries. I would say there's three categories of boundaries. We talk often about physical, but I would also say emotional and spiritual boundaries. So physical, real quick. Stephen talked about it a bit last week. Sex is a gift from God, designed by God, given to us, but it's to be used within the context of marriage. Fire in a fireplace or like a fire pit out back is great, 
Fire anywhere else in your house causes destruction and burns your house down. So something given to be within a certain context is to be used in that certain context or it causes destruction. Sexual immorality, we're talking like a, a lot of things here. So 1 Corinthians 6.18 says flee from sexual immorality. The question you shouldn't be asking is how far can I go? It should be what does it look like for me to flee? The word flee doesn't mean like towing the line. It means I want to I stay far away from that. I want to walk in a healthy, healthy way. Physical intimacy is part of a dating relationship, but it should be the caboose, not the engine right? It, it needs to follow along with some of the other ways that we're progressing in intimacy. If we put it in the engine spot and not the caboose, you start to get all kinds of like mixed emotions, mixed feelings of what do I actually think about this person? So just keep that in mind um, with physical intimacy. And we can get a little bit more in depth about that um, in the Q&A. Think guiding principle again, honoring one another. Honor God. Let's live lives of holiness. Emotional intimacy, don't get ahead of yourself. Um, take time to build commitment and trust. It should take a while before this person is your most intimate confidant. Like, you need to keep your other friendships. Don't be that person that you two just disappear to the world. They should not be your only emotional, um, like, contact in the world. And then spiritual, you should still have a separate walk with Jesus. Read your Bible. Pray on your own. It's, it's fine to do that sometimes together, but that should not all of a sudden become linked. They should not be your primary accountability partner. And the first person you confess sin to. That should still be like a same gender friendship or connection group, things like that. Um, one last thing I'll say about um, spiritual boundaries and intimacy and things like that. Um, Stephen mentioned last week that a husband is to lead their wife. A boyfriend is not called to lead their girlfriend. So I've heard a lot of girls ask, I'm not sure what to do. He's not really leading me spiritually. He's not really supposed to be leading your, you spiritually while you're dating. Um, that's something to be thinking of as a future thing, but not like a current a current read on our relationship. If you want to know if he'll lead you one day in your marriage, ask yourself two things. Does he lead himself? And does he allow other people to lead him? If he can't lead himself, he can't lead you someday. So if he can't get up and read his own Bible and things like that, he's not going to be able to lead you in marriage. And if he's not submitting himself to the leadership of other godly men around him, he will not be able to either. So he doesn't need to, you don't need to get like data on him leading you, but those two things will tell you about future leadership. Yeah, he definitely shouldn't hinder you, but there should be an encouragement there. I think something else I'd add in this like healthy boundaries, um, it's like at what point do we begin sharing like some of the more in-depth aspects of our life, in particular maybe past sin struggles or current sin struggles, things like that. I think within kind of a dating, like if I were to say the dating timeline in my mind, it's like going on dates, boyfriend, girlfriend, early stages, boyfriend, girlfriend, later stages, engagement, marriage. It seems like even within date or boyfriend, girlfriend, there's like a part one, part two, where there's a part where it's like, this is fun. We're getting to know each other and, and we're enjoying this. We are girl, boyfriend, girlfriend. We're committed to one another. Uh, but then at some point, if uh, the relationship progresses, it seems like there's a shift where you begin to recognize, oh, this is the person I want to marry or someone that I, I'm really serious about dating and I believe that this is where it's heading. At that point, I begin, I, I think it's, it begins to be more appropriate to bring one another into the more in-depth aspects of what's going on in your life. And so specifically, a question that we get a lot is, should I break up with my boyfriend if he is viewing pornography or struggling with pornography? Or how do I assess whether or not uh, I should break up with 
you know, I'll put it on the girlfriend side, with my girlfriend if she has a ton of sexual uh, sin in her past. Well, I think, again, both we want to start in a place of seeking first the kingdom of God, living lives of personal holiness, resting in the identity that we have in Christ. As we hear from one another past sin, we have the opportunity to share the gospel again, to give people the experience of grace that we've experienced in Christ. Now, if, if the sin struggles are current and present, I kind of ask myself, what's the frequency? What's the degree? Are there people in their life that are speaking into those areas? Those are some of the things that I would use to assess uh, the severity of it and whether or not that should have an impact on our relationship. But I think all of us have the opportunity to express grace, not just the, the forgiveness aspect of grace, but also the healing aspect of grace that we have in the gospel. So... Uh, how do you know when to break up, if you should break up? Well, um, if you come to a point on the other end, maybe you go through that early stage and then you don't realize you should get married, you should break up. Um, here's a few things. Once again, communicate well. Be clear. Um, I think that it can do damage to linger in that relationship longer than is necessary. Um, so communicate well. Keep it simple again. Um, that would be a great time to pull in wise counsel on just like, hey, how should I navigate this uh, breakup? I think don't, ex don't expect friendship. There are times where God can restore a relationship to a degree where you can be friends to an extent, but in large part, don't expect friendship uh, afterwards. That, that relationship will change. But what I'll say is it's far worse to be in a relationship where you are unloved or where you don't love the other person and you stick with it because of some reason that you just feel like compelled to be in it way longer than you should. It would be even worse to be engaged and know that you shouldn't marry this person, but go ahead and go through with it. Guys, breaking off an engagement, breaking up, as much as that is painful, the pain of getting a divorce in 10 years is much, much worse. If you know that you should break up with the person that you're with, the pain of a breakup during the boyfriend-girlfriend stage is much more tolerable than the pain of a breakup of a divorce. So. Anything you'd add to that? No. Great. All right. How to be single well. So the reality is there might be a handful of, a lot of people in this room maybe that are like, this is all well and great, but I'm not dating. I don't have any prospects in my future, so tell me about life right now. Um, I have a few things I would say about that. So first of all, don't think of singleness as being in a state of lacking something. Think of it as positive, like an opportunity, because it actually is. It's an opportunity before you, and seek ways to lean into that opportunity, right? Get deep with your connection group. Pour into friendships in a way that you only can in singleness. Look for opportunities of ministry and service around you. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, basically, I wish you could all be as I am, which is single. Paul's single, FYI, Jesus was single. Wow, you can be a full human being. Um, it's, there's an undivided nature that comes with singleness, that you're able to pour into some of these things in a way that you wouldn't be able to if you are dating or married. Second of all, don't think of it as waiting. Yeah, there's, in a sense, it's like, yes, I, I'm waiting on the Lord, things like that. But don't wait to start your life until you're married. Live well now. If you are feeling like you are called to go overseas after college, do it. Don't not do it because you're waiting around to get married to start your life or you will waste a lot of your life waiting. Um, third, then, if you are not able to pursue and find levels of contentment in dating or in singleness, that doesn't get solved 
with dating and marriage. That is not like problem solved, check. That is something that we can find more and more and more ways to be discontent no matter what our life stage is. I just got married this past summer at the age of 32. That might be an age that you guys are like, Lord, don't let me go that long without a husband. I had a really unique opportunity to watch a lot of my friends date, get married, have children, and each time they went through a different stage, there were more things for them to be discontent about and worried about and anxious about. You'll find something else to be discontent about. So it's not going to solve anything to just get a boyfriend or get a husband. Find contentment now so that you might be able to find contentment through every other stage of life. And then finally, one of the reasons that you are able to to see singleness as a beautiful thing and, and not something that you are lacking is that marriage is a great gift from God, but it's only a shadow of something to come, not the substance, right? So Andrew and I wrote letters to each other in our uh, like marriage ceremony, our wedding ceremony. One of the things I wrote to him that I, I was like, I really truly believe this is apart from you, I have tasted and seen the sufficiency of the gospel for joy and satisfaction. And I promise to daily fight the temptation to seek from you that which can be only found in Christ. As blissful as it is to be standing here today as your bride, I know this day pales in comparison to the joy that awaits us in a greater future union between Christ and his bride, the church. Whatever church you stand up in front of if you get married, that is nothing compared to the day that you are standing with the Lord and entering in as he is the bridegroom and we, the church, are his bride. So, so the earthly representation of that is great. It's beautiful, but it's a shadow. It's not the thing that we are ultimately to desire and be made for. So know that, yeah, we're able to find great joy and satisfaction without that. And it's cake, like you talked about last week. Okay, move on. All right. So where are we? Seek first the kingdom of God. Pursue lives marked by holiness. Have a biblical vision for marriage. And a lot of the details will fall into place. Uh, we know there's a lot more questions. That's why we have a Q&A uh, after this. But I think, Laura, maybe one of the things that as you kind of pull back, dating tends to be kind of one of those sources of the greatest wounds, kind of hurt, insecurities that start to emerge in us. Like, what have been some of the things that as maybe you went through your own story or God has taught you um, when it comes to the topic of dating that you found like healing and hope, even in the midst of some of those insecurities and wounds? Yeah. So, so as we talk about a topic like this, um, there might be some that this conversation brings about a lot of insecurity a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, whether that's from past hurts or future concerns, right? So I want to pull back and maybe give some hope from the gospel to anybody that might be in one of those categories. The categories I'd want to talk to are those who have wounds from dating or rejection or breakups, those who have walked through past failure, maybe with sexual intimacy in their life, um, and those who have worry if this will ever come to you, if this is something that you are going to be left out of or that you're not good enough. So first of all, those who are feeling any level of woundedness from past rejection or breakups or dating experiences, the truth of the gospel is that God sees you and God accepts you. Right, So there's many different names we have for God in the Bible. One of those we see come out in Genesis where Hagar is a woman who Abraham essentially used, had a baby with, and then basically rejects when he doesn't need her anymore. Um, 
she's, she's discarded. And we see her in Genesis 16 out in the wilderness, just wondering, am I lovable? What, what is all this? What have I just gone through in a state of brokenness and despair because of rejection she has felt? And God meets with her there and, and gives her a promise. And it's there that she calls God El Roy, which means the God who sees me. God sees her in her brokenness and pain and doesn't leave her there. Then God also promises to be near to those who are suffering. Psalm 34, 18 said, the Lord, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. So God sees your pain, sees your brokenness, and is walking with you in that. And God accepts you. Your worth has been given to you by God. You don't earn it yourself. He has declared it over you. So your value, your worth, your dignity comes from who God says you are, not whether a boy or a gal thinks that of you. It's what God says of you, first of all. Second, if you're somebody who you're hearing some of the things about boundaries and thinking through maybe past relationships, thinking I have run past those boundaries and done a lot in my life. I I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Maybe that's something you're carrying. Or maybe you don't have a relationship with the Lord and thinking, what, I don't know what to do with that. Like, what do I do with some of the either sexual sin in my past or sexual brokenness in my past? And to you, I want you to hear that the truth of the gospel is that God redeems the sinner, right? God redeems us um, from whatever situation we are coming out of. So your past sin does not define you. I'm going to read real quick um, Psalm 51. This is um, David after walking through, after walking through sin in this um, category, I guess. Verse 3, he would say, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. He's aware of, of the sin he has in his life. Verse 7 then says, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So we know in this, we actually can be made clean. We can be cleansed from whatever our past sins might be. The reason that God is able to look at us and not turn his face from us, that it says in verse 9, is because he turned his face towards Jesus on the cross and poured out his wrath on him. He looked upon Jesus and, and poured out and like satisfied the wrath that is due to us on Jesus. And so because of that, we now can actually be clean. We can be made whole. We are not discarded pieces of our past. We are whole. We have a, a whole pure heart that God can actually redeem. So yeah, you can start fresh. You can start new. This, this is something that doesn't need to follow you into your future. God can redeem brokenness and start you on a new path. And then for those of you who you would say, man, I just have worry about if this will ever come to me, if this is, if this is going to be something, if I'm going to be lonely my whole life, if I'm going to be left out, or if I'm not good enough. To you, I want you to hear that God knows you, and God is thoroughly in control. So one of the most comforting um, psalms for me, as I kind of thought through like confusion in the midst of dating, things like that, is Psalm 139. It says, God, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. 
Then it says later, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. It is such a comfort to me that God understands my thoughts. Even when I don't, even when I'm walking through confusion, I don't even know if I like this guy. I'm not sure what to do next. God knows me better than I know myself. And God knows as a good father what gift is the right gift for me at the right time. I can trust that God has already written my days out. And so our God is a good father. He, he knows what is actually best for you. We don't know what's best for us. God knows what's best for you. And we need to trust that God as a good father is giving us his best for us in his best timing. When I believe that God is thoroughly in control of every aspect of my life, I don't need to feel anxious about if I've met the right person yet or if that's going to happen or whatnot. I can trust that God knows me, he knows what's best for me, and he will bring to me what he sees as good for me in the best timing. So yeah, take comfort in all those truths about God's character and what that can mean for our life. So would you guys pray with me? Thank you for walking through this with us tonight. If there's questions that you still have, there's a lot of ground that can be covered in this topic, um, text it to us afterwards in our Q&A. But I'm going to pray and we will circle back to some of this at the end of our service. So, God, thank you for the wisdom that you give us through your word that we are not given... Um, yeah, this, this task before us without any instruction from your word, but thank you also that, um, yeah, this is something that you have said you will walk with us in. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for seeing us, God, in our brokenness, whatever our past might look like. Thank you for redeeming us, for taking brokenness and making it whole, making it new, making us pure, giving us clean hearts, God, no matter where we've come from. Thank you, God, for knowing what is best for us, for knowing us better than we're able to know ourselves. God, would you help us to trust you in the midst of this? It's so hard to do, but God, help us to trust you as you walk us through the decisions, the challenges of life. Would you make us to be the right kinds of people, God? Not necessarily knowing exactly what our next step is going to be, but the kind of person who pursues you God, if this is something that we desire, I pray that you would bring right spouses into the lives of people um, in this room. God, if it is your will that they might be single for their life, I pray that they would embrace that and live out a full life of, of running after opportunity for ministry in light of that. God, would you make us wise people? Would you make us diligent searchers of your word to know how you might have us live God, would we honor you in all that we do in light of all these things. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.